0: Welcome back to our weekly podcast, I'm your host, Margaret Pendo, and today I have the honor of introducing you to Professor Hale. Dr. Hale officially is a full professor of biology and environmental science, and throughout his research, he has been able to travel all around the U.S., Switzerland, Germany, Iceland, Sweden, and the Caribbean, and Puerto Rico. He is very involved at Franklin, whether that be teaching core courses in the environmental studies program, leading travels to Iceland, and even managing the campus garden. I'm super excited to share some of his stories today, and also we're recording in person again, so you might hear some construction in the background, Um, but officially welcome, Professor Hale, to the podcast.
1: Thank you, Margaret, for having me.
0: Of course, the pleasure is definitely mine. Let's just dive into it. So, I wanted to talk about, for starters, what it's like to plan an academic travel, And how has it been being able to combine your academic interests and your academic travels? And later, we'll kind of get into your academic interests as well. But let's just start here for now. What is it like to plan an academic travel? (laughs) Lots of fun.
1: (laughs) Um, So, you know, academic travel is like a regular class with this added travel component. So in addition to, you know, putting together a class, putting together a curriculum, trying to figure out, you know, what you want to teach students, what you want students to learn, and how the best way is to, you know, what kind type, types of activities to get them involved in, what um, types of assignments. So you have all that, like you have with a normal class, but then you have all this other stuff. And um, I don't think students necessarily always realize how much extra time it takes to plan the travel, because it's like planning a trip, except yeah. with 24 people. <laughs> yeah. um, and so, you know, and, and for me... And hopefully, I, I hope for a lot of my colleagues, um, you know, it, it's not just planning, a, you know, the basic trip logistics, but the logistics are part of the course. And so, you know, when teaching, um, when you went on my ice and it was sustainable tourism, this fall it's going to be sustainability science. So when talking about sustainability, it makes sense that we should try to, um, you know, travel sustainably and at least do our best to demonstrate what sustainability is and what it isn't. And, you know, use those opportunities as learning experiences. And so, you know, thinking about how we get to Iceland, how we get around in Iceland or any other destination, where we stay what we eat, are all sort of important things and those are, you know, um, if you don't have a familiarity with the place, it's gonna be really hard to figure that out. But even, you know, every time I go back to Iceland or I go back to France or I go to New Zealand, you know, things have changed. And so, you know, how do I adapt? Um, And so, you know, it's extra work on that end um, but it's also sort of fun because it can be part of that planning and trying to you know how do I leverage those experiences to be part of the learning experience um, for students and so um, you know generally we don't want professors traveling to places they don't know and, and so um, when you're planning a travel obviously you have some experience in a place you don't necessarily have it through the lens of a professor or educator, so so sometimes that requires a little, you know, thinking about, you know, I've been to this place as a tourist, or I've lived in this place, um, I've worked in this place, but how do I do it when I bring students? And so thinking about, you know, where am I taking students, and what are we going to do, who are we going to meet with, um, is, you know, what you need to do. And um, for a place like Iceland, um, with a heavy sort of tourist load, that often means starting, you know, six months, nine months in advance. Wow. So... uh, yeah, it's a you know, communicating with travel agent, communicating with people you're working with, communicating with people you're staying with, um, is always, you know, extra work and extra time. But um, if if the travel works out, it's often well worth it.
0: And do you get full creative freedom on the schedule? I mean, as long as it is within a budget or within yeah, that I mean, time so period.
1: We we have a set budget, we're not allowed to go over that budget. Yeah. Um uh, so I mean we have a fair amount of freedom with respect to that, obviously, and we need to think about risks. We need to think about being safe certainly the pandemic has added one more level to thinking about how you travel um but yeah. yeah i mean i'd say we're relatively we have a lot of flexibility in how we plan our travels i would say
0: that's really cool and like you mentioned you're very well known for your iceland travel <laughs> that i was luckily able to attend and i was really interested about how you became passionate about iceland and specifically the west fjords and what drew you in originally? Because you also speak Icelandic, which is super cool. Um, and I feel like a lot of, a lot, not a lot of people get to say that. So what drew you in in the first place?
1: So probably multiple things drew me in. First, I would say I've had an interest in Iceland for a long time. Um, growing up, there was an Icelandic exchange student when I was in middle school. Um, my stepmother had been stationed in Iceland with the U.S. Air Force in the 70s. And so she had a lot of really interesting stories from Iceland back in the day, and certainly um, where she was stationed um, is now the international airport, so it was near where the Blue Lagoon is. Nice. And it had become very famous. And so I mean, she was there or there when the Blue Lagoon was in its infancy, and so she you know gives me these stories. You know, now it's turned into almost a Disney World like resort. And she's back in the day, it was you know there was a stand on the side of the road that sold that rented towels, and that was it. was <laughs> like someone in your car and you yeah. jumped in. So I mean, so I mean, so. You know, I, there was always an interest, and then from an academic side, um, you know, teaching environmental science, um, Iceland is often used as examples or case studies. Um, whether you're talking about renewable energy, um, talking about um, you know a lot of the geology, the volcanoes, the earthquakes, um, plate tectonics, and, and so Iceland as an ac- as a place to study environmental science is really exciting, and, and so that certainly. It was something that was always in the back of my mind once I started working at Franklin as a possible destination, Um, and then um, also sort of you know from the professor side of academic travel you know we always struggle with you know you're taking students travel, and for some students and perhaps for every student you know I was a student once too when you travel you um, you might be in academic mode in part of your brain but you're also I don't say vacation mode but Um, you know, you're not always looking at it as a formal experience. And so certainly from a professor's side of of that, um, uh, you know, you struggle with wanting to make sure students are engaged academically. Um, And back when I started the Iceland travels, all travels were one credit. Um, So it was, you could say it was easier for students to maybe blow off their travel or not do as much because, you know, a one credit um, was a lot less painful on your grade point than a three credit course might be. Yeah. Um, and so I had done several warm weather destinations and, you know, it's been struggling. They were great travels. I, I certainly they were useful. But, I mean, I, I definitely noticed this, you know, struggle among students, like, wanting to be academic versus, oh, this is sort of like my fall break. Um, and I do feel sorry for, you know, you know if you were at a, a lot of universities, you would have a fall break or a spring break and, you know, we take that away from you in some sense and make you go on academic travel instead. Yeah. Um, oh, no. I <laughs> I know. I know. Um, But, you know, and so at the time, um, Iceland, you know, wasn't, the tourist explosion hadn't happened yet in Iceland. It was a cold weather destination. I I wanted to see what that was like. Um, In 2009, I I went to Iceland for the first time and started exploring it. I had a colleague um, that I knew back from when I was at Duke um, that had done a lot of research and taken students to Iceland. And so I, you know, picked his brain a little um and then i I explored it i I really liked it i thought it was a great destination and so in 2010 i did my first iceland travel and it it went really really well um and i really really liked it and so i decided this was something i was going to keep doing um and so i started wanting to learn icelandic because i feel very strongly that if you're going to work in a place you should speak the language um and so i started going to iceland in the summer to um, learn Icelandic and you know understand the country better uh, and so that's sort of you know how I started my uh, time in Iceland and then so for the first several years I did the Iceland travel um, we didn't go to the West Yords. Um it seemed very distant and remote and I hadn't had an opportunity to visit there yet and I didn't want to go take students to a place I hadn't been to yet but and particularly our bus driver kept on saying, you know, you need to go to the West Fjords. Iceland is great, but the West Fjords are something really special. And so um, it turned out that uh, at the University Center in the West Fjords, it's one of the few places where you can, you know, not just take introductory Icelandic, but you can do intermediate and advanced language courses. Mm-hmm. And so um, when I, I got to that level of language, I was like, well, I need to go to the West Fjords. And so, um, I started doing summer classes in the West Fjords, and I you know, met the director there and happened to mention why, and you know, one day he was like, why are you learning Icelandic? Um, and I said, well, you know, I bring these groups of students every year to Iceland. And he's like, oh, really? We host group, groups like yours. <laughs> and so we started talking about the possibility of the Franklin Travel coming up to West Fjords. And so I think in 2015, we. Debuted in the Westfjords. Um, that was also the year we switched to a three-credit model for travel. Oh,
0: okay.
1: And so that that was really nice because the collaboration with the university center there really expanded um, what we can do in Iceland. And I think, I mean, and the Westfjords, I mean, is a really special place. As I would yes. hope you would agree with me. <laughs> I definitely. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I mean, it's easier to the town we're based in is a small town, um, and so it, it's been less touched by tourism than perhaps other parts of Iceland and so I don't want to say authentic because (laughs) all of Iceland is authentic but I mean it's 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 got a you know a sort of that small town flavor and I I think you really get a sense of Iceland um by being there and you know um since I started doing that I I did a semester sabbatical in Isisjö and um you know I really got to know people in the community really well um and I um was a director for the SIT Summer Program in Iceland one summer that was uh, based in Isafi. So I feel you no, know, I've got over, over the years I've gotten to know it really well. I speak Icelandic decently. Um, and yeah, it's just become a, a really special place where I've, I've done research, where I've you know, taught um, students and directed programs and learned the language and study. Yeah. Yeah, it's super cool.
0: And I like the, I don't know, for me, Iceland is so remote. To have connections in Iceland seems like you are connected to the world, you know? Like, who has connections in Iceland? It's just so
1: cool. Yeah, more and more people I think, but, um, <laughs> Yeah,
0: yeah.
1: No, it's been good. I mean, there's been several students over the years who've gotten internships in Iceland. Um, one, you know, former alum of Franklin ended up going to a graduate's program in the West York, so... Um, There's been some nice Franklin connections, and obviously we also have Sigrun who works in um, uh, financial aid, who is from Iceland, and so, you know, that's that's stuff,
0: Do you speak with her in Icelandic, or?
1: A little. Um, Nice.
0: (laughs) uh, Also, not to boil it down, but for those of you listening, there is a very delicious soup in Isafjordr that Professor Hale actually introduced me to. It's delicious it's like literally on the edge of the town basically in this cute little uh restaurant and we ate there one evening and it was adorable so if i'll link down the restaurant below if i can find it and you guys can check it out next time you're in iceland um so yeah being at franklin you've been here for a while um working on your swiss citizenship exciting stuff (laughs) um but i was wondering what What do you love most about being a professor here at Franklin and what has kept you coming back, as you could
1: say, I guess? I mean, so it's, you know, Franklin is, you know, I think everyone would say, you know, it's an interesting place. It's a peculiar place. Um, You know, it's really small compared to most uh, universities, um, which, you know, has its drawbacks. But, I mean, as a professor, it's, it's really nice because... You know, uh, I taught as a postdoc at Duke. Um, I was a graduate student at the University of Wisconsin, and certainly when you you know you, uh, you taught as a graduate student, um, you rarely see a student more than one semester. Yeah. Um, and so you know, at Franklin, particularly for students that are in your major or doing a minor. Um, you really get to see those students develop over the four years or three years that they're at Franklin uh, and I think that's that's something that um, you don't have at other places and so um, you get to so obviously going on travel students you get to know students um, in a different way and so I, you know I, I think you know having that as part of you know my professional experience is a really nice thing that you know you get to see students grow you get to you know, I would say a lot of teachers. One of the you know the downsides of being a teacher is a lot of the fruits of your labor you never see because you know perhaps um, you know students go on and you've affected them some way, um, but unless you know they get back in touch sometime and say hey I, I really you know you know your class in this uh, caused me to go study this or go into this career um, you know you don't get too many of those moments. But at least at Franklin, um, you know you can see that happen over four years, I think. And so that's that's a really nice aspect, I would say. And I also really like um, Franklin's, you know, you have people from so many different backgrounds here, and it's, it's, you know, really an interesting place where you meet people from all around the world and who have, you know, really interesting stories to tell.
0: Yeah, definitely. I completely agree. And also, so you live downtown, and you are... Pretty, pretty involved in the community and of that you're um, a member of the Botanical Society of Ticino and I think that's fabulous and I was wondering how you got into that, what's it like, what kind of things do you do being a member of the Botanical Society?
1: Uh, we do lots of things, so um, yeah, so the Botanical Society of Ticino uh, formed five years ago or so Oh, it's Um, pretty recent. It's relatively recent. Ever since I've been here, there's been the um, Ticino Society of Natural Sciences, and this sort of grew out of that. And obviously the natural sciences, you have people from all different natural science fields involved. And, you know, I've been involved in that, but um, the Botanical Society is um, a bunch of people who obviously share this common interest in plants. Um, And it's, for me, it's been really nice because... um, one, obviously, at Franklin, we're a small place, and so one of the downsides of being small is you don't have a really rich department in our area of people who, you know, share common interests. Obviously, um, Professor De La Croce and I have some overlap in interests, but obviously he's more on the fish side, and I'm more on the plant side. Yeah. Um, and so it, it's a nice community to have where people share one of my, you know, common interests, or one of my interests. Um, and it's interesting, and it's nice that it's, it's not just PhD botanists, um, it's people from all walks of life um, who share this interest in plants, and some of them, you know, do have a PhD in botany and are really brilliant at the science, and other people maybe don't have a formal training, but they've been interested in plants all their lives, and they bring in a lot of a lot more of sort of, uh, you know, I grew up and my, my parents taught me these plants, and I've you know, been observing them all my life, and just so you... you get to see things from a lot of different perspectives. As someone who didn't grow up in this area, it's been a really great way to connect um, with Ticino and get to really learn a lot of the plants that you, know, you know, I hadn't grown up with, it. and um, getting to see a lot of the Canton, um, getting to meet people from the Canton, from various parts of the Canton, getting to practice my Italian. Um, yeah. And so it, it's been really nice. Um, Professionally, uh, the society has put on two big conferences. Um, For the first one, um, Franklin was one of the sponsors. I was on the scientific committee. Um, And then for this last one that just took place this past spring, um, I was on the organizing committee and Franklin actually ended up hosting the whole thing due to COVID. We were going to sort of um, have one day here and one day down at the um, museum downtown, but because of... uh, Requirements. We ended up having to do it actually online at the end um, due to COVID, but um, it was still, we hosted it from Franklin. That's cool. So that was, yeah, no, it, and so I mean, I think, you know, for me, it's been great personally, it's been great professionally, and I think it's also brought Franklin um, some more connections in the Canton. Yeah, that's really cool.
0: And this is a random curiosity of mine, but do you have a favorite botanical garden in the area? I've been to the island
1: botanical garden. Isola de Brizado?
0: Yes. Um,
1: I mean, so I'm also on, um, well, it's the uh, the comitato for the association of the Isola de Oh, really? Um, so sort of like the board board of friends. Or I, I, Not I, that. I always struggle with how to translate that in English. Um, I like board of friends. Yeah. Because <laughs> a lot of places have, you know, friends of Yes, yeah. and so um, we're we're um, I've been on that for two and a half years, and so I mean the easily the you know if, if people come to Franklin and never go out there, that's pretty sad. They're you know um, the botanical guide garden is on the larger of two islands that are just off um, the coast yes. off <laughs> the shore of uh, Ascona um, over on Lago Maggiore, and they're beautiful. The the uh, the um, flora is focusing on the Mediterranean flora from around the world, so you have uh, plants from the Mediterranean itself, you have California, you have South Africa, you have the Canary Islands, you have Australia New Zealand, um, and so it's it's a really neat place um, to go. I mean, it's a beautiful setting, um, so I would definitely have to say that that has a special place in
0: yeah. heart. Yeah, no, it's pretty phenomenal going, being in Switzerland and China and just seeing birds of paradise on this yeah. island yeah. that's covered by blue water. Like, it's pretty, it's a really phenomenal place. I'll also link that down below so people can check out how to get there. You can just take a boat right
1: on over. It's pretty, it's a fabulous day trip. Yeah, and with the new train connection to Picarno, it's a lot faster than it used to be. Too. Yeah, it's almost under an hour, right? It's super short. To get to the islands, yes, I, yeah. it's, I mean it's about a half hour to Locarno now, and yeah,
0: yeah, it's it's a you really easy. Jump thing. on the
1: boat from Locarno. Yeah, it's a lovely day.
0: Yeah, it's really nice. Um, and so, looking forward, like you mentioned, that you're passionate about botany and also. Um, Sustainable science and I was kind of wondering what can we expect from you in the coming months or year in terms of publications and research and Potentially this new academic travel about sustainability science. Like what's kind of on the academic lens for you?
1: Okay um, So I guess I'll start with the, the class you just mentioned. So yeah, so the New travel are is just so I, I've taught a course for several years called sustainability science um, and as we have sort of um, been sort of revising the science curriculum, the environmental science curriculum at Franklin, um, it seemed to be a good place to combine uh, two courses. Um, the sustainable tourism course that I've done with Iceland has been good, but I, I felt like it was probably too. Um, narrow of a focus for the group and um, the original idea behind the original Iceland travel was looking at sustainability in Iceland and so this is sort of going back to the original plan in some ways but now it's a three credit course and taking the sustainability science course I was teaching and sort of incorporating that so um, so I'm excited about that. That'll be fun. Um, with respect to research so the sabbatical I did in the West Fjords a few years ago um, was looking, taking my research, looking at um, educational travel programs like academic travel and um, looking at field data. So, um, trying to see where um, educational travel programs go, what kind of landscapes they visit, you know, how, you know, uh, what kind of impact they have um, on those landscapes and comparing it with tourism. And a lot of that was based on um, using data from social media um, particularly using photos that people post to social media that are geotagged, so mm. you can track where people go across the landscape. Pretty cool. That's um, really cool. No, it's only the people who have their profiles public. We can access. <laughs> yeah. Them by the way, we're not we're not <laughs> following <laughs>
0: anyone. You're lying.
1: Um, us. Right, no. Um, and so that that has been a really interesting project that really got me interested in you know how can we what kind of information do we have um, through people posting on social media that can Help understand um, conservation um, and sort of uh, environmental issues, and so um, I combined that recently with my botanical interest in looking at uh, the content of uh, photos posted to social media in the mountains of northern Ticino um, and looking at you know how what you know using the photos as a source of information of what, what plants are in the landscape. So trying to see, you know, can we track invasive species? Can we track rare species? Can we understand what kind of um, plants people are interested in? You know, what, you know, what what is attracting people's eyes? Um, and you know, also assessing some level of, you know, what is the general knowledge about these things? You know, what are what kind of comments are people making? Are they properly identifying the plants that they're posting? And so um, it's been a really interesting project that is, you know fun to work on um again as um it was nice during the pandemic to be working on it because you're looking at all these wonderful photos <laughs> yeah <laughs> when I you're know. not able to travel yourself um, <laughs> it was a way to also travel through your research oh yeah leaving big, your that. desk
0: i love that so, i like that i can I like yeah. that so that's exciting yeah so
1: so yeah so I, I hope to keep working on those topics and publishing and Hopefully, you know I, I think the pandemic offered us a new way of seeing how, um, you know, we don't always need to travel to conferences, but also I think brought out the fact that you know uh, virtual conferences are great, but there's also something to be said about being in person. And so I look forward to someday being able to return to conferences in person.
0: Yeah. Fingers crossed. Yeah. Fingers crossed. No, that's actually really interesting. I wonder how traveling for work and like attending conferences will actually evolve looking forward.
1: Yeah. I mean for me personally. Um, for instance, uh, before I, I came to Franklin, I used to regularly go to the Ecological Society of America's annual conference, um, and it's that conference is usually in early August. Which since I've come to Franklin has been more difficult to plan to go to. Um, And I was able to attend last summer because it was all virtual. That's cool. I know this coming year I'm going to be able to attend because it's um, virtual. And hopefully, I'm hoping that conferences in general will increase having an option to attend something virtually. Because there are interesting conferences all around the world. And you you can't always afford either the money or the time to go to one. And certainly from a sustainability perspective, perhaps we shouldn't always be flying around the world to do all these things, particularly when we're talking about sustainability, but in general. yeah. <laughs> um, and so, you know, I, I hope, you know, one of the benefits or one of the lessons we've learned that's a positive thing is that we can, you know, still have these experiences, but for, through a virtual uh, platform.
0: Yeah, definitely. And I feel like with time, things will become way more engaging, like there will be more methods and mm-hmm. how to create an online space to be more interactive. Yeah. So, so that'll be cool. Yeah. Well, I wish you the best of luck in your research, thank especially you. with your new chapel class. I'm jealous. I wish I could go again.
1: You're always welcome to stay. <laughs>
0: <laughs> you know what? I'll stay. <laughs> good point. Yeah. Um, but thank you so much for being on sure. the podcast. It's been thank my pleasure. Me, yeah. And well, we'll keep in touch. Sounds good. See you.